one voice would always put you down. That's your imposter syndrome voice. My dyslexia is my secret weapon, and I use it every day. Oh my God, you are talking to a double whammy, right? A female and an Asian in the White Boys Club. Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. To start with, I have this very funny name, Fink. We actually are all going through the same level of insecurity, no matter how successful we become. If you really want to have a breakthrough, you've got to break something. Welcome to the latest edition of The Impostress. Today, we've got Andre Gray. Andre Gray's had an interesting career. Right now, he's ECD at Gray, New York. So Andre Gray at Gray. Let's talk about having your name on the door and the pressure of that. During his career, Gray's been all over the place. He's led global campaigns for Adidas, Gatorade, Nissan, originally from San Francisco. Spent five years in Paris, then three years in Amsterdam, TBWA. And um, most recently, prior to Gray, he was at 11 in his hometown, also at an ECD. He's also a very passionate um, advocate for underrepresented voices and tries to bring that through in all of his work, which has direct relevancy to, you know, when we're all talking about imposter syndrome, being a minority, those three things have to be pretty close together. So welcome, Andre. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, glad to be here. I, I was excited when you when you reached out. You know, I'm always... Uh, welcome the opportunity to kind of talk a bit about what happens behind the scenes, you know, and kind of how do we share the voices to inspire more people to, to open the doors and knock on the doors and try to, try to get into this industry. Firstly, and most importantly, is it Adidas or Adidas? Which one is it? That's a, that's a good question. I think if you ask the, the clients in Germany, it's definitely uh, Adidas, but I would say uh it was Adidas until Run DMC, and then it was Adidas. So for me, it, it, it's still Adidas. But you can go back and forth. They owned it. <laughs> they owned it for the world. Right. So um, as you know, this, this podcast is broadly all around imposter syndrome within creativity, something which we all kind of have. But um, I want to talk about you for a little bit. Um, you're not afraid of an airplane. You've worked all over the place. Amsterdam, Paris, San Francisco, now back to New York. Part of um, the weirdness around creativity and imposter syndrome is like feeling like, what the hell am I doing here? Feeling that like I don't belong. Mm. How do you answer that question when you're just in a new job and you've just flown in from 10,000 miles away? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think a lot of times you got to know yourself, you know, you got to know what you're bringing to the table and and understand that the, the beauty of creativity is we're always chasing something that doesn't exist, right? Like even if you, if you, if you say Star Wars is the best movie you've ever seen and then you go to the movie theater to see Star Wars 2 and it's the same exact movie, you're still going to want your money back no matter how good it is, right? So we're always chasing something that's unknown, which means it's, it's a gut feeling and accepting that it's never going to be a sure thing. There's no one that can reassure you and, and tell you 100% it's going to work. You got to feel like you put your best effort forward and and go from there, you know? It's it's the thrill of it. If it was a guarantee, it wouldn't be as compelling. I'm currently the host of the Brooklynettes, Peloton instructor, Adidas ambassador, and I'm the founder of Love Squad. I think being overwhelmed naturally occurs in everyone's life. There's gonna be a day that I'm crying because I didn't do a good job. I'm not gonna get a job that I wanna get because my 
schedule is so busy. At the age of nine, I was hit by a car. It motivated me to say, you know what, I'm actually going to use my body for good. I'm going to actually use my body for positive change. And no, I may not be the fastest, the smartest, the strongest, the prettiest, but I know at the end of the day, nothing and no one will ever make me give up. I believe, you know, you talk about Star Wars. Uh, the version of Star Wars in our industry is the Super Bowl, right? You're in the white heat of getting one out there at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, we have we have some some little stuff cooking for the Super Bowl. I, I find it to be super interesting because I think from a from an advertising standpoint, the Super Bowl is is fantastic. I was just having a conversation earlier about Web three and and from my point of view, like the effect that the change in landscape is going to have on where we speak and where the relevant conversations are. And I'm curious how long the Super Bowl will be the answer for all the, the media recommendations. You know, I'm really, where, where is the relevant conversation? Should you be talking about avocados during the Super Bowl? <laughs> where do you talk about avocados? <laughs> <laughs> By the supermarket, <laughs> I would think. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just, this isn't appropriate for an avocado moment. I'm sorry, guys, I got a leak. <laughs> But as, as a Californian, I'm definitely partial to avocados, but only ripe avocados. Hard to find. But the, uh, the Super Bowl is interesting because like, it's kind of a dinosaur, isn't it? It's kind of and yet still we're clinging on to, you know, the, the multi-million pound spot. And it's still like 30 seconds or, you know, if you've got loads of money, it's not more than that. Digital has been around forever. Metaverse is the latest big thing, although Metaverse itself isn't new at all. It's just that right. people have decided to put billions of dollars into it now. That moment to sort of shine as a brand, you're right, has been completely atomized. And yet we still have TV spots and we still have Super Bowl spots. It's still a kind of highlight of your career to be part of one of those. There's a lot of pressure in that though, right? Because it's kind of like, finally, I'm doing a Super Bowl. And then you're like, finally, shit, I'm doing a Super Bowl. And I'm ECD. Yeah. How's that feel? Yeah. I think the pressure comes in all shapes and sizes. You know what I mean? I think it, it really depends on what type of person you are. I always try to be very pragmatic and go through the end and then work my way backwards. So it's like the way I think about stressing, I mean, which is probably in part growing up in California, but like if you go to shoot a free throw at the end of the game, does it help if you stress yourself out that the whole game's on the line or should you actually do the opposite and calm yourself down? You know, so I'm like, the bigger the opportunity, fantastic, but stressing yourself out about it is not going to make it better. You got to find a way to be present and then be clear headed about what you're going after. You know what I mean? I think it's very easy to look at the problem as more complicated because it's going to show up in the Super Bowl, but the problem is the same. You know, do you have something compelling to say and who you're trying to convince and how do you connect emotionally with them? That's super logical, but we're emotional, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, all of that right. made sense to Mr. Spock. <laughs> it's like, yes, we should. Right. <laughs> all challenges are the same. But yeah, I right. know, but we're not like that. We're we're pretty emotional. I mean, can you can you think of a time like you know when you when you lost it, when you had a crisis of confidence? Is there like a little story or a moment that you can think of when that happened? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a time because I feel like the crisis of confidence is is all the time. You know, I think one of the the thing about being creative is it's like wildly lonely in a certain way. 
because you're living in the ideas that are in your own head. And there's always a distance between how you get the ideas in your head to be explained to someone else. And I think what makes that even bigger is when you're in a, a position like, like I'm in, or, or even more when you're in a position like you're in, where the job becomes a little less about my ideas and a lot more about how do I foster and nurture ideas in someone else. So it's even more nerve wracking. So I'm like, I think that's a good idea. It's not even my idea. So I got to create this space for this person to essentially yeah. bet with my money. I hope they don't crap out, you know, but then I try to, you know, I try to lean into the the goal. Like even if they crap out, like the best at everything, don't shoot a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Best baseball yeah. players hit, hit one third of their pitches in the world, you know? Yes. And I think we have this standard that we try to put on ourselves to, to bat a hundred. And like, that's unrealistic. There's no, What's the saying? There's no losing. There's just winning and learning. I mean, everybody knows anything about this thing says that actually failure is far more important than winning because you don't really learn right. from winning. You learn far more from failure. How important do you think partners are within creativity? You know, you know your creative partner. How important is yeah. that? So, so I think you asked two subtly different things and maybe it's because mm. I'm a copywriter and, and a stickler yeah. for words, but... I think partners on the one hand are extremely important. I think your creative partner in its original construct can be helpful, but it's not the only way of doing it. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're a long way from someone having to draw with a pencil and a and paint, you know, to needing a strict art director and copywriter. How do we find new forms of, of, of team? Um, but when it works and you find two people that kind of sing from the same hinge sheet, you can see it and it's fantastic. I think for me, on the flip side, I think partnership is super important because you always have to have someone who you can trust that you can check yourself with. Because hmm. at the end of the day, like I said, whether you talk about it in terms of imposter syndrome or loneliness or what have you, like there is no guarantee. You know, you're sitting there betting at times, as you said, millions of dollars on behalf of companies and entities and yourself on, on something that you have no guarantee that it's going to work. You, you feel like based on your expertise and based on the years of experience that you have and based on your sense of taste and sensibilities that you, you're convinced it's going to work. But it does help for you to, over time, have at least one, but hopefully one, two, three people that you can say, whether they're working on your business or not, hey, have a look at this. Mm. shoot it to me straight keep it honest you know and that's that's always where i want to I, I try to start my interactions and relationships and and the environments i try to foster right for me it's all about transparency and responsibility transparency being you have to be able to say what you have to say it's not to say you know i don't live in a world where there's no stupid questions there definitely are but you have to foster an environment where at any level someone feels like they can say hey i don't i don't know if that's right on the on the flip side the responsibility, right? For me, it's, a, it's an important shift from ownership to responsibility. Oh, you own this idea. You own this work stream. Let's talk more about you're responsible for it. Now my hands are open. I can share it with other people. I can go get your point of view, right? Now that, that we're speaking, I might call you, ask you about an idea. You don't have to have anything to do with it. I don't have to do what you say, but I can learn something as, as a person who I can trust in the process. You see what I mean? So, yeah, you know, Having partners is, is paramount. Otherwise, you're really alone. <laughs> That's tough. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, just talking about departments and actually broadly our industry. You know, um, we've spoken to 
a lot of um a lot of leaders i remember kitty from facebook said that she was like a double whammy she was a woman and an asian in the white boys club and she talked very mm. compellingly about actually how she turned that into fuel for herself our industry still is famously misrepresented it's getting better but still be it gender race background it's still not equal and there's a long way to go what do you think we can do to foster kind of like a greater sense of belonging amongst our creative departments how what, how can we make it more equal better more inviting you know less intimidating for people for minorities to join in i think it's about empathy it's about creating the emotional space for understanding of different people with different points of view and how do we conscientiously remove the the expectations of the examples that we have and what i mean by that is you want to tell me examples of white male leadership uh name a few people some good some bad right david beckham probably good trump probably bad but wildly successful whether you agree with what he did or not you know what i mean he was the president of you know um we can easily lean on those things because we know they've succeeded time and time again and those traits we actually as a society uphold as positive i think the thing that's right difficult is how do we create forms of leadership that are not that right in the same way that how do we create forms of formality in in dress that are not european right when i want to go get dressed and be more formal i put on a tuxedo well that, that's a european way of being formal i'm not saying i have an answer to what is another way of being formal but being conscientious of it is the first part and not expecting different people to act like white males right at the end of the day it's like a chessboard right if we consider the last move to be the winning move and the winner the person who makes that move we're all able to win but a white male is you know and even more so a white cisgender heterosexual male is a is a queen they can move wherever on the board however they want to i'm a bishop it doesn't mean i can't win but you can't keep asking me to move to the to the side when that's not that's not a possibility for me i can move diagonally and backwards and come back around and end up in the same space but how do the queens and the bishops and the rooks and the pawns all work together with empathy and understanding of how each other can move and can't to collectively create the circumstances for the checkmate right that's that's the goal and it starts with conscientiousness what well, what do you think are the some of the barriers where you wish you could move freer within our industry Right. I think there are a lot of barriers of perception, right? I think as we come into conversations, there's a lot of expectations. I think it's very easy to see me and say, "Oh, we got a a 6-3, you know, 200 something pound uh black guy dressed cool, you know, stylish. Tell me about music. Tell me about culture. Tell me about sports." I think it's not a lot of ears open when i'm also a person who wrote a book i'm also a master of arts i'm also a person who's very acute in thinking about systems and thinking about business so when i have a suggestion or when i have a point of view as you said earlier right what's the best way to make your ideas better it works from the creative side but it works just as well from a process side it works just as well from a business strategy side they should be practicing the same which is sharing their strategies with other people and then us reflecting back to them what is needed in order to get to the angle but when we go to do that right it's very easy for them to come in and have feedback 
But when you're like, hey, I wonder if we approach the business in this way, well, how, how could you know that? I don't really, does not compute. Someone like you, I haven't seen being able to speak like that or or talking like that, you know? Yeah. So I think it's the it's the perception of what one person can do or not do. And can I ever pull apart, whether it's because I'm a creative, whether it's because I'm black, whether it's because I'm American and I'm in France, right? I, I, I can't pull those things apart necessarily. And that's the problem, right? When it comes to racism, racism with a capital R is very easy. Hey, Blackie, I don't like you. Oh, cool, got you. Seen you coming, we'll go the other way. But racism with the lowercase r, that's nascent and lurks inside of the way that we uphold systems, that's much more difficult to point out. It's very easy to say I'm not racist and it's very easy to consciously say that I don't do that. But you're right, implicit within that is prejudice, unconscious bias and unconscious bias, the key word in there is unconscious, right? You don't even know you're doing mm. it. One of the great phrases of that in, in the race movement recently is it's not enough to be not racist. You have to be actively anti-racist. And I think mm -hmm. the nuance in that is so true, is that you have to actively address your biases, which you don't even know they're there. You're not a bad person. It's just you've grown up in a system where these things are so entrenched that these assumptions mm -hmm. are just there and natural, and you have to challenge them. And that in itself is a skill. You know, you have to actively do that. Right. I would say unconsciousness, though, is a privilege. Yeah. Because on the flip side, uh, a black person knows or a woman knows exactly how an environment is, right? So when the industry, for instance, you know, 2020, everyone was, oh, we're doing an audit, we're doing an audit. I don't, I didn't see a lot of black people asking for audits on what their representation is, right? I don't need to do an audit. I go to an office, I go to a company, I go find a few, you know, brown people, the most marginalized people, women, you know, et cetera. And I ask them how it is. They'll tell me within 10 minutes how it is. I don't need to do I need to confirm whether those those singular points of view, right, are all, are all correct? No, because I can look at the patterns that I've already seen. The thing that trips me up about unconscious bias or microaggressions, these are all words that are diminutive to try and make you as the, the perpetrator of these unfair systems feel better about it. Oh, it's just yeah. a microaggression. What if you yeah. talk about it instead of a microaggression, it's a small knife? So, okay, I can stab you with a machete. That's definitely not good. But if I stab you with a small four-inch knife, that's still not great. You're still bleeding and you could still die, right? And like that, it's, And the fact that you don't realize you're stabbing me doesn't make it okay. Right. It doesn't change it, right? You're still responsible for the fact that you, that yeah. you just stabbed me, right? And so that's the thing is, is how do we create the collective understanding that there is responsibility there. And also we don't have to accept, right? I had a, a, a coworker, rightfully so, you know, asked off to a piece of work, you know, a tremendous piece of work, something that, you know, industry changing, you know, um, culture changing, et cetera, et cetera. She didn't accept the environment that she was in, that she was, how she was being treated for being who she was at her level. And my reaction to that is, I'm glad I'm glad you did that. Good on you, right? For prioritizing yourself and for being strong enough to say that's not acceptable, right? Whereas you could easily see a lot of people in that situation. Shouldn't you be thankful? Shouldn't you be glad that you'll be here? Shouldn't you be glad that you are given this opportunity? You know, that's part of like related to the question you had earlier, right? How do we create space, right? We have to think about these things entirely different. We have to check all our premises because the presumption should be 
that everything in this society is derivative of the history of this society, of his story, right? Mm -hmm. Of colonialism, of, of um, imbalance, racism and oppression, right? It, it's all parts of all of everything. And so how do we create our own consciousness as we move through it? So do you call it out when you see it? For sure. You have to, right? Like I said, transparency. Yeah. That's the that's the first thing you have to be able to say, oh, hold on. Right. And and also that's a part and an, an imperative part of it is being active, right? Being anti-racist is noticing what's happening in the rooms. When you see a black woman being talked over or 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 being cut off or being ignored or not, you know, then you have to, hey, I'm sorry. Did you have a point earlier? Use your privilege. Mm to re recreate the balance, right? It's not good enough to come after and say, oh, I noticed, I got you, girl. No, put yourself on the line and, and empower and create systems and structures, right? I think one of the main things too is we, we have to, if we're leading with empathy and creating space for belonging, we have to change the questions we ask. I think oftentimes as a system and also you know, as leaders perpetuating white patriarchy, we, we consider a lot from the first person perspective, right? So we yeah. have say, say as a, a, a Asian woman who's working on a brief for AAPI, hey, right? Oh, hey, love the idea. Can you just talk me through how you got to it so I can, so I can buy in? That's the wrong question. You're asking, how do you as an Asian woman put me as a black man in your shoes or even worse, me as a white man in your shoes when I can never be in your shoes, right? I can never sympathize, I can empathize. So the question needs to be, what do you need from me in order to bring this to reality? We have to trust that that person has the right intentions and has the right idea, right? And we have to use our privilege to empower them versus trying to get them to educate us, right? That's, that's not the correct way of approaching it. We need to empathize versus sympathize. So given you're now very much in a position of privilege with your role, what kind of advice would you give to someone just starting out? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about change, I mean, we can't say it's changed too much, right? Like 1978, there was 5% Black people in advertising in the U.S. In 2020, there was 6% Black people in advertising in the U.S. And, and in 1978, even worse so, it was a government audit mandated priority. So for that to be the case, there has to be systemic exclusion, right? Because that doesn't follow matriculation rates, more black people are going to college, et cetera, et cetera. So there are more qualified black people, but they're still not there. I think as far as advice to the juniors, I think you have to find your why. You have to understand why you're there, right? I understand why, you know, Gray is not a, a small place. It's a big place, part of WPP, which is the largest holding company. So the change that you need to impact and create at a place like that, right? That was that was made over 105 years ago. That's going to be harder than a place that was made two years ago. Yeah. But I understand why, because the scale can be tremendous, right? We, as you know, we just won the global Coca-Cola business. Crazy. Mm -hmm. That means we can be in every single in every single country in every single city. So I understand why I'm there. So I understand when it gets really tough why I need to fight through, right? You talked a little bit about um, the woman um, from Facebook, right? She understood that the rarity of her position could be fuel for her motivation, right? It's the same type of thing. I understand why I'm here. If your why 
is not going to fuel you through the tough times, then you need to find yourself and I will help you find yourself an easier gig because it's not an easy gig right now. No. Agencies are traumatic, painful, um, disrespectful places, if I'm honest. I love to find your why. Um, do you know what yours is? Yeah, um, it, it's very funny. Until until 2020, I actually never even spoke to anybody about it, you know, despite the fact that my career started quite some time before that. Um, but I really believe that it's not just advertising. I think a lot of people say that, but we have 10,000 opportunities a day to change culture, to change the perception. I'm not saying every single thing is going to be wide in the screen. Every single thing is going to be, you know, some tremendous uh, equity, you know, love has no labels, whatever your, your favorite one is. That's not my point, but representation in the process allows you to just have a voice and to change the way things are seen. Because if we change the TV shows and we make Moonlight, we make Euphoria and we make, you know, the L word and whatever, whatever your, your standard is of, of new, uh, new voices. And then on the flip side, we cut to commercial and it's still the same 10 white dudes making fart jokes. You haven't changed the culture, right? Cause that has an impact, right? Everything. Yeah through repetition has an impact. And as you said, with the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl spot is one part of it. If you have a pervasive message, it's not going to be just at the Super Bowl, right? It's going to be over and over and over and over until it penetrates. That's what we're built for. That's what this industry is built for. So if you can change that a little bit or a lot of it, that's a tremendous opportunity. So I understand that, you know, and, and that's what motivates me. That's amazing. I'm so glad we got you on. The more I listen to people like you, the more I can just kind of just question it more. Yeah, man. All right, Andre. It's been a pleasure. If you're ever Likewise. in New York, definitely uh, let me know. Um, I'm sure 100%. we'll see each other very soon, probably yep. uh, in South of France, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, a lot to come, definitely. Cheers. Good luck, man. Great to speak to you. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to The Imposterous. Apart from our fine, imposterous guests, none of this would have been possible without the help of the following wonderful frauds. Firstly, Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, best music and soundhouse in Australia. Without his help, this would have been a series of WhatsApp messages with emoji responses. And also Hilton Moday, who has graced us with his theme music that you're listening to now. If you would like to catch up on all the other podcasts in The Imposterous series, visit theimposterous.com. Here you can also get in touch with us via email.